when you look at it from a factor point of view, and we've talked about this a bit already this year, but value and dividend, I think, are the places to be. And there's been a lot written about this rotation from growth to value. And really, the big driver of that factor rotation is, is the higher interest rates. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. This episode was recorded on the morning of Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. As tensions in Russia and Ukraine persist and evolve, investors are concerned about potential knock-on effects. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney, Chris Heeks, and your host Mark Rays discuss and compare how markets have reacted to historical geopolitical conflicts and wars. They examine the consequences of sanctions against Russian debt, take a timely look at the oil and gas market, and dive deep into the effects of interest rate hikes on aggregate bonds and equity factor rotation. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We're joined today by two of our portfolio managers, Chris McKamey and Chris Heeks. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Morning. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Well, let's get started. Lots to talk about today. I think certainly the news dominating headlines right now is the uh, Russia and Ukraine standoff and what that might mean for, for markets. So I want to ask this question a few different ways, thinking about some different ETFs that we have on the shelf. But as we get into this conversation, perhaps you can share some overall insights on how the market has historically reacted to, to wars or, or state actions along these lines. And as you get into that answer, let's focus here on ZEM, of course, that's our emerging markets ETF, but as well impacts the you know, broad markets on a whole. And as you as you frame the question with ZEM, wondering about broader contagion, but as well, what's the rate of weight of Russia in that ETF? Yeah, thanks, Mark, and uh, definitely lots to lots to unpack. Um, no, no shortage of uh, you know moving parts. Um, but you know, let's start with that first part of that question, which was kind of the historical reaction to to the initiation of wars. And I don't know that we're necessarily there with a war yet in Ukraine or Russia, but let's just, let's just look at historical uh, returns and national uh, national bank put out some good research um, going actually back to uh, 1939 when uh, Nazi Germany invaded Poland attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, also the Russian annexation of Crimea is in this sample set, you know, about 15 war or war like, you know, certainly disruptive and volatile environments. And, you know, the, the, the first high-level conclusion, and it's somewhat interesting, is the returns really aren't that bad. You tend to see some negative returns in the months leading up to the event. 
but on the order of on an average of a minus two minus three percent uh, a week after the event you do sometimes see negative returns but generally speaking once you get into that one month three month 12 month forward the relatively normal market returns which which might be counterintuitive and if you look at that you know these 15 events across different you know uh, events in, in history in the last kind of 80 years your average 12 month return you know is about eight nine percent so pretty much almost like a normal normal return so um, not always, you know, as disruptive to markets as, um, you know, as it seems at first as these news unfold. I think in terms of the current situation, you know, one obvious parallel and the most recent event in this data set was, was as I mentioned, Crimea, the annexation, almost a non-event from a market perspective. Um, market was down about, S&P was down about 2%, you know, so it really wasn't a, a major market event. You know, I think in terms of where we are right now, certainly, you know, we're we're watching a situation unfold. I think the big question a lot of investors have and, and, you know, just a lot of people in general is, you know, it seems that Putin has taken these disputed regions. To me, the big question is, uh, does he stop there or is that a a step one towards kind of a full scale uh, move into Ukraine? So I think the latter scenario where he just stops at these relatively small uh, disputed regions might be more like that Crimea annexation where it was almost like a non-event from a market perspective. Um, you know, if he does move into Ukraine, I think that's a bigger event. I think that's where, you know, NATO, get NATO, NATO allies get involved. And that's per- perhaps more disruptive, but still, again, very interesting that historically, um, you know, even, even talking uh, Pearl Harbor, September 11th, not always as, as negative in, in, in markets. So that's, that's kind of the first part of the question. And then as we move into emerging markets and the impact on broad markets, you know, let's start with emerging. The weight of Russia in emerging is about 2.5%. So it's a relatively small weight in MSCI emerging markets and ZEM. It's down about 22% this year. So really, that's a relatively minor impact. You're looking at a portfolio impact of about 50 basis points. You know, as a reminder, the, the main countries in MSCI EM uh, China's about 40%, Taiwan's about 15 and then you've got India and South Korea at 12 each. You know, that's getting close to 90% of your, your market. So really on a direct impact basis, you know, Russia's a pretty small weight. You know, I think you kind of uh, alluded to the impact on broad markets, and I think that's where you get into those scenarios, you know, like a, an invasion of Ukraine may have more spillage in terms out into broad market. But I do think if he stops at the disputed regions, and you know, um, I think that's that's a very likely scenario. Um, it may not be a very significant market of impact either to broad markets or or even to EM, given the you know relatively small weight uh, to Russia. So I'll, maybe I'll stop there, and we can uh, you know see where you want to take it. Well, that's great, Chris. Thanks for setting the stage because we do have a couple of follow-ups that that tie into this. So we've talked about equities, but let's switch gears now to EM bonds, where, of course, we have ZEF, our EM bond ETF. Thinking about that under the same context, what would be the impact that you that you would expect there, knowing that Russia is actually a, a larger holding in that ETF? Thanks. Sure, Mark. I can, uh, I can handle that one. And I think, um, you know, there's probably two different elements here that you want to look at when we're talking about EM bonds and specifically ZES. 
our emerging markets bond um, ETF that, that offers exposure to a variety of emerging market countries that issue debt in U.S. dollars. Um, and so, you know, there's the impact on EM bonds in general and sort of the spread impact um, that a risk-off sort of environment would introduce. And then there is any specific impact on those Russian bonds that are held within ZDF as well that you were asking about. So I think, um, you know, first of all, just looking at EM bonds in general, um, you know, generally when there is that risk off sort of environment, we would expect um, some level of spread widening. You know, EM debt tends to be one of the first to react um, in a potential risk off environment. And so um, if you take a look at the price action on ZDF so far this year, um, we've seen a little bit of that happen already. Uh, we've seen some some sell-off in this space and a little bit of spread widening. But, you know, let's put it in context. Um, we can take a look at really any fixed income um, segment uh, in, in 2022, and the returns haven't been good, right? There's There's been rising yields pretty much across the board. Um, and if you take a look at ZEF in relation to something like high-yield fixed income, um, it's actually held in better than what high yield has so far here in 2022. So we haven't seen a huge amount of spread widening yet, um, that risk-off sort of tone um, in the EM debt space as of yet. Now, again, going back to, to Chris's you know, earlier comments, you know, I think it might depend how far this goes as to, as to what might happen, right? Obviously, if there's a full-blown invasion into Ukraine, um, that could have different impacts um, than what we've seen so far, and that could obviously impact not just EM debt spreads, but um, pretty much any any risk uh, any any risky sort of asset. And again, high yield will be part of that as well, and of course, equities would be also. So, I think again, what we've seen so far and what's likely to happen, and uh, of course, hard to tell likelihood and, and percentages, but. Um, based on what has happened and, and what's you know likely to happen or expected to happen so far, um, EM bonds in general have held up pretty well. Now the Russian bonds within ZEF specifically, and you know it's a high weight within the, the fund, almost a 10% weight allocated to Russian uh, debt within ZEF. Um, I think you know investors might question you know what's going to happen to that debt. I've heard about sanctions on Russian debt. Um, does that apply here in, in ZEF as well? And I think the, the first comment to make is that the sanctions that have been announced um, are specifically to do with um, Russian debt in the primary market, ruble-related debt as well. And so what um, the U.S. and NATO is trying to do is to limit Russia's ability to raise capital from the Western economy. So any newer, new, newly issued bonds and bonds in the primary market um, would have sanctions against them. And again, generally, that's ruble-related debt. Um, there is potential to have secondary market um, sanctions as well, but I don't think we're anywhere near that. And again, that would largely likely happen on more newer issued bonds. So in short, the bonds that are within ZEF, not tied to any sanctions that have been announced and not expected to be tied to any sanctions should um, further, further sanctions be announced. But of course, anything is on the table, as we've heard from, uh, from Biden and from Western leaders. So never say never, I guess, is, is, is the answer there. But just to give you some numbers, I think EM spreads um, are, are up about 50 basis points so far this year. Russian uh, debt has sold off about 15%. So we've seen a big sell-off already um, in Russian debt. And in fact, you know, potentially we're looking at a, a potential opportunity 
in the near term for investors that might want to look at an attractive entry point. Um, you know, going back to Chris's comments, generally, um, you know, an incursion like this is not going to have a huge impact on the financial markets. You know, really what's, what's uh, driving the markets is, you know, Fed policy, central banks, economic growth, things like that. So um, the only way this might start to, to bleed into that is if there's knock-on effects, if sanctions continue to ramp up, if that starts to have some contagion into other areas of the economy, that might have a, a spillover effect. But if we take a look at Russia specifically, you know, they're actually in a very good financial position right now as a country. They have $630 billion in, in foreign currency and gold reserves. Their debt to GDP is only 18%, so they're not really relying on the debt market significantly at this point. And they actually have a current account surplus as well. So, um, you know, should these sanctions hurt Russia? Um, they have a little bit of this war chest in order to, to uh, weather the storm, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, we wouldn't expect any defaults or anything like that, um, certainly. And so um, that's, that's kind of the, the state of the market right now in, in EM bonds and in, in ZEF and, and with Russia specifically as well. And maybe uh, I'll pass it back to you again, Mark, to see uh, where you'd like to go next. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Lots to think about there. Different uh, moving impacts, uh, certainly when you think about the bond side of things. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 35 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets Index ETF, ticker ZEM, a hard-to-ignore global strategy that allows investors to truly diversify from traditional domestic and U.S. equities. Last question in this space before we move on. Uh, let's take a moment and talk about the impact in oil and gas, perhaps relate it back to ZEO, our, our energy ETF. Uh, you know, certainly seeing that oil is, is continued to climb through 90, definitely noticed when I filled the car up the pumps last weekend. Uh, but one that we talked probably a little less about, which is, of course, perhaps more heavily influenced by Russia would be the gas market uh, where we're seeing a lot of volatility in natural gas. So your, your comments on the energy sector, please. Yeah, for sure. And, and natural gas is always one of your most volatile commodities. Um, so weather dependent in terms of the demand. So just as a side note before we get going, but um, you know, mostly the Russian natural gas market isn't going to touch the companies in ZEO. Those gas you know, exposures in ZEO are really North American exposures. Um, on the oil side, obviously, oil, you know, has a has a direct relationship, easier to transport across across oceans. So it's, it's more of a connected global market. Um, you know, the way I think about it was, you know, a couple months ago, you know, kind of before this crisis was peaking, you know, there's a lot of calls for $100 oil by the end of this year. There's even you know, a couple big banks calling for something, I believe, 150 uh, even. So there was, there was a lot of calls for fundamental strength in oil. I think what you've seen with this crisis is it's act as a catalyst to obviously move those prices up, you know, ahead of schedule. Um, I think a lot of people have been looking at oil as a way to hedge conflict in Russia, Ukraine. And, and, and you know, as a result, the oil price, as you mentioned, Mark, has gone from about 65 to, to, to low 90s in a matter of a couple months. 
Um, but, you know, circling back to ZEO, you know, I think the fundamental call is for oil strength, regardless of the conflict. So I think, you know, we want to remember that. The health of these companies, Canada and in the ZEO portfolio, you know, the, the financial health of these companies has improved substantially. Um, they're making significant cash flows uh, with oil, you know, over $70, and it's well over $70 right now. So if I look at the free cash flow yield on uh, the companies in, in the TSX Energy, it's about 8%. Um, so that's a very healthy amount for it to be kicking off. And I think the longer that oil stays elevated, you know, the better it looks. So, um, you know, I think some people may have looked at ZEO as, as, a, as a short-term hedge against Russia in Ukraine. And I think you certainly can do that because the oil price has been directly co- uh, correlated with the conflict. But, you know, I think even if, say, you know, we get an easing of the conflict, um, you know, we could, we could well have an easing of the oil price in the short term, but the companies are still, you know, you know almost printing money, you know, even with oil around $80. So I think it's still a strong um, background for ZEO and, you know, I think it's going to continue to do well, you know, especially should these fundamental kind of uh, targets or calls for $100 oil. Let's just take this conflict out of the equation for a second, but let's say, you know, those $100 calls are correct for the end of the uh, end of the year into next year. It's still a very good backdrop for oil. So, so yeah, I I think definitely you could see some short-term volatility in the oil price, but um, you know, I think, um, the equities are still kind of correcting higher to uh, to this kind of reality of higher oil prices, which, you know, if we're going to believe the analysts are going to be here for a couple of years as we kind of reopen economies, um, continue to reopen over the next year. So I think it's still a good backdrop for ZEO. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now let's switch gears here and move over to interest rates, where, of course, Rising rates has meant short-term pain in the bond market. However, uh, should we be looking at the market in aggregate, or are we confusing, you know, a quicker rise in the short end of flattening of the curve with long-term bond yields? What is BMO Capital Markets predicting if you look forward on the 10-year bond, which can be used essentially as a proxy to the duration of ZAG or aggregate bond ETF? And when you when you think about this. Can you walk us through some break-even examples uh, using ZAG? Um, you know, when you think about perhaps rates going up on on the longer end of, of maybe 25 points being closer to the consensus, but even even 50 points, and, and how that may affect uh, certain ETFs on the shelf. Thanks. Certainly, Mark, and you you raise a good point here. We always talk about rising interest rates, but really, what investors need to be concerned with is which which interest rates are rising. Where where along the curve are we talking about? Um, and is there a place to hide? Is there a place to tilt my fixed income allocation? Um, should I go more short? Should I go more long, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and so, you know, over the past year, if we take a look at where the, the yield curve was a year ago and then what we're pricing in today, um, you know, it really has been the shorter end of that in, of that yield curve that's been rising the fastest. Um, so again, looking just again one year ago from where we are now, 30-year yields are up about 35 basis points. 20-year yields are about 50, 55 basis points. 10-year yields 70 basis points. So you know the longer end hasn't moved that much again from where we were a year ago. The shorter end is up probably double that, you know, 100, 140 basis points um, in that two to five to seven-year range in terms of where interest rates have moved. So. We've seen a steepening of the yield curve over the last year or so. 
Um, but if we look more short term at what's happened just here in 2022 um, with that fast move we've seen in interest rates and almost a resetting of um, interest rate expectations, we've really seen a shift up across the curve. Um, again, just over the last month or month and a half or so, about 50 basis points. So we're seeing all maturities really increase in terms of the yield expectations um, that 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 uh, the market is baking in here. So where we stand right now for 2022 in, in the Canadian market is that um, you know we have seven um, interest rate hikes priced into the, the curve right now, and that's throughout. Um, the Bank of Canada meetings uh, in 2022. So I think investors have to think about, um, you know, are are we going to get seven rate hikes? Are we going to get more? Are we going to get less? And then they can sort of tilt where they want to go from there based on based on their outlook. Just to go back to, to the second part of your question, thinking about the impact of rising interest rates on aggregate bonds or, or on the, let's call it the universe of bonds and, and what that means for uh, the price impact and, and how you get that back. Um, you know, you hear a lot of talk about duration and what's the duration of a bond portfolio. Um, for investors that aren't quite aware, it's, it really gives you a good measure of the, the sensitivity of the portfolio to changes in interest rates. Um, and so if we look at the aggregate universe right now, the duration is about eight. Uh, it's measured in years, so that's about eight years. Um, and what it's telling you is that for a 1% move, um, in the underlying um, rate market, um, that's how much in percent the, the the price will be impacted. So if, if rates go up 1%, you can expect bond prices to go down by 8% as it has that inverse correlation to, to interest rates. So going back to your question, Mark, you know, where's BMO Capital Markets predicting that, that 10-year bond to go? Um, if we take a look at, at their, their, their most recent outlook here published just last week, um, they're expecting that Canadian 10-year to be uh, about two and a quarter uh, in 2023. So, you know, that's a year from now or a year plus, depending what part of 2023 you're thinking about. We're pretty much almost at 2% right now. Uh, we're right around that 2% number in Canada. Um, and so, you know, BMO Capital Markets expecting just a mild increase in 10-year bond rates anyway um, in 2023, going up to, you know, again, just about 25 basis points. But for the sake of argument, again, um, let, let's assume there's a 50 basis point increase over the next year or so. What sort of impact would that have uh, on aggregate bonds? Um, so again, with a duration of about eight, a 50 basis point increase means prices drop by about 4%. So the value of your fixed income investment drops by about 4%. But you're also getting additional yield there. Again, remember rates have moved up uh, in this scenario. So with a yield to maturity right now at about two and a half, if rates go up 50 basis points, you're looking at a yield to maturity of about 3%. Um, so if you if your price has dropped four and you're earning three, that's gonna take you a little bit more than a year to earn that back through the coupon that you're collecting. Um, and so I think, you know, that doesn't sound like a great scenario or a great environment, but I think at the same time, um, if you're worried about rising interest rates, I think the, the message is that most of that move has already happened, right? Most of that, um, is already priced in now, um, and a fixed income market that um, you know gives you minus four percent certainly that's not great. We saw I think minus five uh, from aggregate bonds last year, but on a total return basis, I think you're going to get a lot closer to flat um, over the next year or so with aggregate bonds, and of course uh, we'll still balance out 
uh, equity market risk in a nice diversified portfolio. So again, that's just what the market is telling us right now in terms of expected movements in interest rates and, and where the, the fixed income metrics are, are standing right now. Um, so again, the last the last part of that is, you know, as an investor, do I think there's going to be seven interest rate increases this year uh, from the Bank of Canada? Do I think there might be somewhat less than that based on, um, you know, other risks that might come up throughout the year? Does the Bank of Canada slow things down? Does inflation really get out of control? Do they speed things up? So there's a couple of different ways it can go. Um, you know, but I think what what investors are starting to look at is that being shy, shied away from the long end of the market for so long because of ex- expectations of, of rising rates. Now that a lot of that is priced in, a lot of that movement has happened in those bond prices. Um, the long end of the curve is starting to look maybe, you know, a little bit more attractive than it used to. And I think, you know, we started talking about this a few weeks ago, and this is going to be um, what fixed income investors are going to have to really monitor and focus on over the next few months is, how do I adjust the duration of my portfolio or the tilts? Um, and of course, um, you know, at, at BMO, we offer a variety of ETFs to, to tilt a fixed income portfolio, whether that be long federals like ZFL or, or long corporates, ZLC. Um, or if you want to tilt to the short end, we have ZFS um, or, or, or ZCS. I think either way, what you want to do as a fixed income investor is to bulk up on your corporate exposure. That's going to help um take some of that you know lowering lowering prices is going to help mute that impact it's going to give you a little bit higher yield um, and cushion the blow so to speak if you are expecting rising interest rates so high quality corporate bonds and again if you want to add duration maybe you look at zlc or maybe you wanted to sit in the middle of the market uh we have zfm which is federal we have zcm which is corporate we also have provincials on each of those three um, maturities as well, short, mid, and long. So different ways to position the portfolio. You know, we always tell investors, start with ZAG as your core fixed income holding, um, and then add on these exposures around it to tilt your portfolio, whether that's duration, um, going short or going longer, um, or if you want to, again, add some, some high-quality corporate bond, investment-grade corporate exposure on there, get yourself a little bit more yield, um, and, and cushion any blow that, that that we might get from rising interest rates. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris, covering a lot of the spectrum there of the fixed income market. But I think what's important to realize is, you know, as we focus on increases in the overnight, that doesn't necessarily translate to the long end of the curve. Or, of course, we'll be thinking far more about economic growth and the risk of inflation. Canada's ETF Economic Forum is live now. The BMO ETF team has begun streaming a limited three-part series where the best minds from all six major Canadian banks share comprehensive research and timely, actionable ideas to position your clients for the future. Register now at bmoetfsforum.com. So, last question for today. We've talked about a lot of things going on in the market uh, certainly political risk. Um, we've got rising rates. We've got inflation that we've touched on. We've got a bit of a maturing economic cycle, and you can debate where we are in that curve. Um, but what equity factor conversations are you now having with advisors as you look forward to the rest of the year? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And uh, I'll, I'll, finish, I'll finish up here. Um, 
you know, as, as McCain, you mentioned earlier, I think the dominant theme in markets really this year is rising interest rates. Um, I think that's the big, the big reckoning. Um, you know, as McKinney mentioned, the fixed income investors, they've priced some of it in. And I, you know, fixed income investors have that, um, you know, perception of being a little ahead of the curve. I don't think equity investors have really reckoned with higher interest rates yet. So, you know, there's a debate of whether it's going to be 25 basis points or 50 basis points in March. You know, I think that conversation alone is going to drive some some interesting dynamics. But remember, that's just the start of this interest rate hiking cycle that's probably going to go you know, into 2023 absent, you know, some other external factor that moves markets. So I think that's the dominant theme. And when you look at it from a factor point of view, and we've talked about this a bit already this year, but value and dividends, I think are the places to be. And there's been a lot written about this rotation from growth to value. Um, our value solutions, ZBC and ZVU, um, give you a very pure um, approach, a very I don't want to say active because they're, they're index-based solutions, but they're very differentiated versus the broad index. So they have that ability to benefit, you know, in a market where we're seeing this rotation to value. And really the big driver of that factor rotation is, is the higher interest rates. So value and dividends have um, better historical performance when you have interest rate hikes. And we've seen kind of the troubles that, that, that you know, say the NASDAQ or not all companies within the NASDAQ, but really that higher growth, a segment of the NASDAQ um, where, you know, a lot of their earnings are out into the future, you know, because they're growth companies and, and, and when the higher interest rates come along, um, discounting those cash flows back to the current um, day to get a current valuation is having a big impact. Um, so you see, uh, you know, on the other hand, value-based companies or dividend-based companies, you know, these are companies with high current cash flows and, that dynamic of increasing interest rates doesn't affect them as much. So that's, that's really the big drive, the big driver behind why, you know, I think value will and dividends will continue to outperform, you know, in terms of dividends, you know, I think so. So the value is a little more of an extreme dividends is a little more in the middle. It's a little more blue chipped. It's, it's a little more market like in some aspects because our dividend solutions like ZDV, ZDY, ZDH, um, they have a component of the market cap in them, but they're high quality, high cash flow. And, um, and, you know, I think that'll position them a little bit better, you know, versus these kind of more duration sensitive growth stocks. And then just to, 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 to add in that volatility of the political risk at the end, you know, obviously these dividend and blue, blue chip based com- uh, companies, it's a good, good place to be to, to shelter against volatility. And then from there, we could also add in the high dividend cover call suite, um, where again, um, there's exposure to value, high quality companies. Um, we can monetize the current volatility and add extra income tax efficiently. So that's another place to take it. Should you, you know, want that favorable uh, factor exposure, but also want more income. So um, a whole suite of high dividend cover call ETFs uh, lineup to look at as well. But I think that's the, I think that's the, that's the big one for this year. And if you know, if you look at the, just the performance numbers of our dividends that I mentioned. You know, the outperformance continues to widen year to date. They're anywhere from kind of four to five percent on average, and so I think I think it's a very uh, prudent place to be uh, in the markets for this year. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that factor update because we do know we're getting a lot of questions in from advisors on on factor positioning, perhaps looking to a bit of a rotation in that cycle. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. 
also want to thank everyone for listening in. We appreciate your time. Thanks again to both Chris and Chris. Uh, some really insightful comments. Certainly a lot going on in markets to talk about. So no shortage of uh, topics and information to share today. Thanks for that. And with that, I just want to wish everyone a great day. And thanks one last time for joining. Thank you to Mark Rays, Chris McCaney, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Emerging Markets Bond Hedge to Canadian Dollar Index ETF, ticker ZEF, which offers exposure to a diversified portfolio of U.S. dollar emerging market bonds. Our experts also discussed the BMO Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZAG, which invests in a variety of federal, provincial, and corporate bonds, primarily with a term to maturity greater than one year. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.